Do I have any fans of the show The Big Bang Theory here today? Any Big Bang Theory? Oh, more than the first service. And there were more people here. Um, so apparently you're the, the heathens of the uh, church coming at 11 o'clock. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, uh, there, I, when I used to watch TV, I don't watch TV much anymore, maybe the occasional live sporting event. But uh, when I used to watch TV, I would watch The Big Bang Theory every Thursday night on CBS. That's when it was still on Thursday nights. Uh, I, well, no. It was on Monday nights. It used to be on Monday nights, and then it moved to Thursday nights and back to Mondays occasionally. I don't know. I don't watch TV anymore. But when I used to watch The Big Bang Theory, uh, and, and oh, by the way, time out. Um, I am not condoning or approving of anything said or done on The Big Bang Theory that is contrary to what you and, uh, may find offensive. Sorry. Disclaimer. So anyway, back to The Big Bang Theory. So, uh, you know, it, it's a really funny show in, in a lot of ways. Really well-developed characters, and I really appreciate that about it. Uh, I will still occasionally catch an episode on TBS or something like that. Uh, and there's an episode, though, that I really, <laughs> it really cracks me up. Uh, it is the, uh, uh, let's see, season two, episode 11. Like I said, I used to be a really big fan. Um, it's season two, episode 11. Uh, it is about Christmas, and so uh, Penny wanted to buy Sheldon and her gang of friends uh, Christmas presents for Christmas that year, and uh, so as though it'd be for anything else. But uh, so Penny's going to go out and buy Christmas, and she tells Sheldon that she's going to buy him a Christmas gift, and he says, no, you're going to buy me an obligation, because now I'm going to be obligated to buy you an equal gift based on the level of our friendship and the value of what you buy me. Sheldon, of course, overanalyzes everything. Well, anyway, uh, so uh, Penny goes out and she gets the gift, and uh, Sheldon takes Wallowitz and they go shopping for a Christmas gift. Uh, and what Sheldon's plan is, he's going to buy several Christmas gifts, and then he is going to excuse himself when she gives him her gift. He's going to excuse himself due to digestive distress, and he's going to go and pick out the appropriate gift based on the gift that she gave him. So that's how the whole thing sets up. So the day comes, Christmas Day comes, Penny comes over to their apartment uh, in order to give the gift to Sheldon. And uh, he opens it up, and uh, she's, he hands, she hands it to him. He opens it up, and Penny works at the Cheesecake Factory. And inside this package, this gift, is a napkin. And he's like, oh, a napkin. She said, no, you got to turn it over. And so he turns it over, and on the napkin is written to Sheldon, Live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy. And Sheldon's like, oh, this is amazing. Leonard Nimoy is one of my heroes, you know, and, and so he's kind of very taken aback. And she goes, I'm sorry that it looks dirty. Uh, he wiped his mouth with it. And Sheldon does this. <laughs> and he starts to shake violently. He says, you mean that I possess the DNA of Leonard Nimoy? I can grow my own Leonard Nimoy when he gets, you know, the ability to clone people. So he's going to clone his own Leonard Nimoy, and he just freaks out over this napkin. He says, hold on, I'll be right back. And Penny's a little taken aback. Why is this, what is going on here? He goes back to the back. He grabs all six gift baskets that he bought for her and carries them out and drops them at her feet. And she says, Sheldon, what are you doing? He goes, I know, it's not enough, is it? You know, I, uh, I think about the love and the goodness and the grace of God. And it's not enough, is it? 
everything we try to do, everything that we try and say, every, every time we go to church, every time we read our Bible, every time we go to Bible study, uh, every good deed that we do, every nice thing we do for someone, every time we obey God's commandments, it, it, and we think to ourselves, it's, it's just not enough. Or we'll think to ourselves, I've got to be good for this. I've got to earn this. I have to earn this grace. I have to earn this salvation. I have to earn this forgiveness. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, I'd go to church, but I've got to clean up my act before I go to church. I've got to get things right before I go to church. I've got to get things straightened out in my life before I go to church. I, I can't go to church. If I walked into the building, it would probably crumble down around me or on top of me. Or I'd be struck by, the building would be struck by lightning if I came in. Anybody ever hear that? Any of you ever say that? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. You see, when it comes to the grace of God, it's a free gift. And you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't put enough money in the offering plate for it. You can't do enough good deeds for it. You can't obey enough commandments for it. The grace of God is free. And, and too often we, um, we try and earn this grace. We try and earn this forgiveness. We try and earn this salvation. Think, I've got to be good enough for it. I've got to be better for it. And, and we get this from when we're little. You know, if we clean our room, we get rewarded. And if we don't clean our room... We get punished. If we, good, if we get good grades, we're rewarded. If we get bad grades, we get grounded. If we, if we do well on the athletic field, whether it's baseball or softball or little league or peewee football, if we do good on the athletic field, we get rewarded. If we do poorly, we don't get the accolades. And it sets up in our minds this idea that I've got to be good in order to get rewards. I've got to do well in order to get applause. I, I've got to perform if I want to be rewarded. And whether we're trying to impress our parents or our teachers, or our coaches, or our bosses. We project that onto God. And we think to ourselves that if I'm good, God will love me. If I perform, whether it's going to church, or sitting in a Bible study, or, or telling a friend about Jesus, or reading my Bible, if I perform for God, then He's going to love me. And he's going to forgive me. He's going to like me. And he's going to let me go to heaven. If I do these things, do these good deeds, if I help little old ladies cross the street, if I carry out the groceries for the little old man at the grocery store, if I praise my children and, and raise them upright, then God's going to reward me and he's going to let me go to heaven. And it creates all this anxiety in us. And all of this guilt and shame when we don't measure up, when we miss the mark and we fall short, when we don't do the things we're supposed to do and we do the things we're not supposed to do, when we struggle with sin 
And even when we don't, when it's like, forget it, I'm not even going to try and struggle against this sin today. We feel so guilty. We feel so ashamed. Like we are unworthy of God's grace and love. Then how could he love someone like me? Let alone like me. It's hard. When you feel like you have to perform, when you feel like you have to always be on your best behavior, when you feel like, because it's just impossible to earn it. It's impossible to buy it. It's impossible to be good enough for it. To balance out the scales, they are not tipping in our favor. They're really not. So what do we do? I mean, what do we do? That's what we're going to talk about today. As we look at a passage, what I call, I believe is the quintessential passage on grace. We are going to continue in our series called Fake News and Alternative Facts. We started this last week on Easter Sunday, uh, Easter weekend, and we talked about how uh, the, the fake news that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And we saw the evidence for the fact that, yes, Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. We talked about that last week. And today, we're talking about God's grace and this idea that I have to earn my salvation. I'm here to tell you right now, that is fake news full of alternative facts. Next week, we're going to talk about how uh, Jesus isn't the only way to be saved. Again, more fake news. And then the week after that, uh, when we close this series out, we're going to talk about how you can be a Christian without going to church. Fake news. So if you know somebody who's like, I can be a Christian without going to church, bring them that Sunday. We'll make them feel terrible. So, um, <laughs> but... Uh, what I want to talk about today is grace. Oh, and after we, uh, after we uh, finish up this series, we'll have Mother's Day. Bring your mom to church. We have gifts for all the ladies that day. Uh, we are uh, going to have a couple weeks uh, where we're going to deal with a couple different, just one-off topics. And then we're going to start a series this summer called uh, Stories Jesus Told. It's about the parables of Jesus in the Gospels. So we're going to do that over the summer, uh, and uh, we will uh, get ready for some cool things this fall. But we don't want to think about that. We want to think about warm days, sunshine, and summertime, right? Amen. So, uh, but for today, we are looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you've got your Bible, turn there now, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one of the chair in front of you. It looks like this. It's on page 827, page 827 of the chair Bible in front of you. Um, or if you want to use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, uh, you can use like Version or Bible Gateway, both good Bible apps uh, to look it up. And what we're going to talk about is salvation. Today is all about salvation and God's grace. Uh, look at uh, Ephesians 2. Look at the first three verses with me real quick. As for you, now he is setting this up, uh, a, a dichotomy between God and people, Jesus and people. Uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead. God has placed all things under his feet. Uh, Jesus is alive, is what he's saying. And then he says, as for you, Verse 1 of chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now that word transgressions there literally means falling off the path. It means falling off the path. Now, how many of you have ever felt that way? You've just kind of fallen off the path of righteousness, fallen off the path of doing what God wants you to do. That's transgressions. The other words he uses here is sins. He says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Sins is a word that literally means missing the mark. So when it comes to, how many of you like to play darts? Anybody play darts? 
Some of you play darts. Uh, what is the goal in darts? What do you want to hit most often? The bullseye. You want to hit the center, the bullseye, right? Now, how many of you are really good at hitting the bullseye? Anybody? I'm an awful darts player. I am, uh, I am, I, I'm lucky if I hit the dart board, let alone the bullseye on the dart board. Um, so I'm just a terrible darts player. And, and, and that idea of missing the mark, this idea of sin is missing that mark. It's missing the bullseye. In fact, it's missing the board altogether. That God's expectation is way up here, and we're missing the mark way down here. We are sinners. And that's the bad news. The bad news, the terrible news, is that we are all sinners, every single one of us. And you may be thinking, well, I'm a kind of a good person. The Bible says we're all sinners. So you may think, yeah, I'm a good person. The Bible says you're not. Sorry. That's just the reality of the situation is that we're all sinners. The Bible says that if we break one law, we are guilty of breaking them all. That if we break even one point of the law, do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not cheat, do not, uh, uh, do not uh, murder, you know, all these different uh, commandments, that if we break even one, we may as well break them all. So we're all sinners. We're all stuck in the same boat. That's the bad news. But there's good news. In fact, it's great news. So, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, falling off the path, and sins, missing the mark, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That what we deserve because of our sinfulness, because of falling off the path and missing the mark, what we deserve is wrath and death and hell. That's what we deserve. But there's a great word. There's a great word coming up in verse 4. So look at verses uh, 4 through 7 with me. But, that's that great word. You deserve death. You deserve wrath. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That word but. You deserve wrath. You deserve death. You deserve hell. But God, who is great, who has great love, who is rich in mercy, has expressed his kindness in Christ Jesus. Love, mercy, kindness, grace. Why don't we hear these words about God in our world? The images we get of God's followers, of Jesus' followers, are images of hatred and violence and anger and protests it doesn't make any sense. When I read a passage like this, uh, I think about what God did for us, how he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And he didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't wait for us to get things right. He didn't wait for us to get rid of this sin or that sin. As long as you don't commit these three sins, uh, then you can come to me for salvation. As long as you clean up these, these sins in your life, then you can come to me for grace. Then you can come to me for forgiveness. No, this is what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the who? The ungodly. 
That's us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own, what? Love for us in this. While we were still, what? Christ died for us. Let that sink in for just a second. When you were dead in your transgressions, when you were still sinning, Jesus was hanging on the cross. When you were still in your sins, Jesus was dying for you. See, Jesus didn't say, Sean, when you get it all together, when you preach the perfect sermon, when you, when you live the perfect life, uh, when you never sin again in any way, then I'll die for you. He says, Sean, you can't help yourself. Your sinful nature is too powerful, and I'm going to overcome it, and I'm going to do away with it, and I'm going to die for you now. He does that for us all. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we cleaned up our act, not when we got it all together, but while we were still sinners. He died for us, shed his blood for us, and that's what was necessary to forgive our sins. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says this, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why do we need salvation? Because we're sinners. And what, what is required of, uh, for salvation? It is blood, and Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins. And now we have the hope of eternal life. Now we have the love of God in our lives. Now we can experience the grace of God, the love of God. I love how the NIV talks about God's grace. It says it is the incomparable grace of God. The incom- Nothing can compare to the grace of God. Uh, some of the other versions put it this way. The English Standard Version says that his grace is immeasurable. It is immeasurable grace. You can't even measure it. Too often, I think that we have this idea of God's grace. It's about like right here. This is my grace box. That's my grace box. This is how big God's grace is in my eyes. And I got a feeling that when I read this passage that talks about how his grace is incomparable, when it talks about his grace is immeasurable, when the New American Standard says his grace is surpassing, when the King James says his verses, his grace is exceeding, this exceeding, surpassing, immeasurable, incomparable grace, it's not this big, it's this big. His grace is huge. And so often we want to play judge, jury, and executioner and say, well, you're in and you're out and you're out and you're in and these people look like us and these people act like us and these people believe like us and therefore they're all in, but these other people over there in that church or this church, they're doing these things and they're doing that things and they're not in. And we limit the grace of God. And that is not our job. That God's grace is incomparable, immeasurable, exceeding, surpassing, And it is sufficient, Paul says. God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need is the grace of God. That you can try and try and try. And you can beat yourself up. And you can try so hard. And you can work so hard at it to try and get better. And to try and do better. And to try and be better. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to fail. 
If you're trusting in anything other than God's grace, if you're trusting in yourself to try and save yourself, if you are trusting in your good deeds to save you, if you are trusting in your offerings to save you, if you are trusting in your church attendance to save you, if you're trusting in your Bible study attendance to save you, if you're, str- if you're trusting in your evangelism efforts to save you, you are going to fail. And those things can't save you. Let's read about what can. Verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. That word literally means masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What is grace? It's this. Grace is favor. It is goodwill. Uh, It is kindness. It is God's delight. God delights in grace and forgiveness. You know, sometimes we'll forgive somebody and we'll do it through clenched teeth. Yeah, I forgive you. God doesn't clench his teeth. God doesn't clench his teeth when he forgives you. He doesn't say, I guess I'm going to forgive you, Sean. Really don't want to. No, God delights in grace and forgiveness. Delights in it. And that is what saves us. This grace of God is what saves us through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you believe that he died for your sins and you repent and turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness and you confess your faith, you get baptized. God washes away your sin. He cleanses you from all wickedness and unrighteousness and he purifies you. Baptism is that moment when God's grace is applied to your faith in Jesus Christ and his grace washes over you and cleanses you and forgives you. There's nothing magical about that water. It's not the water that saves you. That's just highly chlorinated Griffith, Indiana tap water heated to 85 degrees. That's all it is. It's God's grace that saves you. And it's not by works. It's not by, what, what is the work? Well, works are uh, good deeds of service and, and obedience to the law of God. These good deeds that we try and do and try and get God's attention. And we, we try to, to get God to pay attention to us by doing all God, did you see me? Did you see? I was really nice yesterday. Uh, I, I was nice to that coworker who's annoying the daylights out of me. Or I, I was nice to my kids. Or I was nice to my wife. I was nice to my husband. I, was, I obeyed my parents yesterday for a minute. Teenagers. We can try and get his attention by doing good deeds, or we can just rest in the fact that because of his grace, we've already got it. His eyes are on you, and he loves you and wants to forgive you. And it's not by the things that you do. It's not by the... Anything other than grace. That's what it's all about. Well, somebody may say, well, well, isn't baptism a work? I mean, that's something that you have to do, right? Isn't baptism a work? No, baptism isn't something that you do. It is something that is done to you. It's an act of submission. Uh, Martin Luther said this. He said, yes, it is true that our works are of no use for salvation. Baptism, however, is not a work, he says. It's not our work, but God's. See, God does the work. 
of baptism. God does the work of cleansing. God does the work of forgiveness. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. If you get baptized without faith, you're just taking a bath. That's it. It's God's grace applied to our faith at that moment that we are saved. It is by grace you have been saved, and not by works. If you read the words of Jesus, you might even think that faith in and of itself is a work. This is what he said in John 6, 28, 29. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Even faith is a work in Jesus' eyes, in Jesus' words. So no, faith, repentance, confession, baptism, it's not a work. It's not a work. It is grace received. Do me a favor and flip really quickly. I'm going to flip over to James 2. It's on page 855 of the Bible, of the chair in front of you, 855. And this is about works and faith, faith and works. James 2, 14 through 26 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The reason that we do what we do, the reason that we do good deeds, the reason that we obey God's word, the reason that we do what we do is not to earn salvation. It is not to earn grace. It is not to earn God's love. You've already got it. The reason that we do, we do not do good deeds to save us. We do good deeds because we are saved. Does that make sense? We do good deeds because God has saved us. We obey God because he has saved us. Not to earn his favor, not to earn his grace, not to earn his love. We do the things that we do because God has already saved us, because God loves us. It is done out of thanksgiving and gratitude for the fact that he saved us. I put it this way. Salvation is about what Jesus did for you, not about what you can do for him. Salvation is about what Jesus did for you, not about what you can do for him. And, and, and what we do is, is we, we, we mess things up. Somehow we think, well, I've got to do all these things, and then God will love me and forgive me, and then I'm good to go. Then he'll let me go to heaven. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. I, I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 116, 12. He wrote this, What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? What can I offer the Lord for all that he has done 
for me. See, he's already done it. Jesus already did it. Now what can I offer in return? What gifts can I give to God? I can give him the gift of my life. I can give him my, the gift of my heart, the gift of my soul, the gift of my love. I can, I can love him in return. I can live a life of thanksgiving and gratitude for what God has done for me. What can I offer the Lord for all that he has done for me? Let me sum it up like this. Don't put the gift before the grace. Don't put the gift before the grace. Whatever you want to offer God, whatever you want to give to him, don't put that before the grace. Because when you put the gift before the grace, it means you're trying to earn his salvation and you can't do it. But when you receive the grace first, then you give your gifts. Then you give of your time, talent, and treasure. Then you give your everything to him. Then you surrender completely to him. Don't put the gift before the grace. And when we do that, when we put the, the grace before the gift, when we realize that we are sinners and we need forgiveness and salvation, when we realize that we need grace, and God washes us and cleanses us and purifies us and he forgives us and he gives us the promise of hope and eternal life, that's when we offer everything to him. That's when we give up everything to him. We lay everything down at his feet and say, Father, thank you. We live lives of gratitude and thankfulness because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's what it's all about. And my friends... You can try and earn your salvation. You can try and do all kinds of things in order to be saved, but you're only going to get tired and exhausted. Instead of trying to earn it, receive it. Instead of trying to buy it, receive it. Instead of trying to be good enough for it, rest in it. May you rest in the grace of God this week. May he give you relief and rest from your weariness and your tiredness and your burden. And may you know that this is not fake news. This is the good news of grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your grace. For without it, we are lost. Without your grace, we are, we are sunk. We, we can try and save ourselves, but Lord, we fail. We can try and be good enough to earn your salvation, but we fail. I pray for my friends today who are here or those who are watching online. And I pray that, Lord, you would indeed help us to rest in your grace. That we would know that your grace is sufficient for us. That this immeasurable, incomparable, exceeding, surpassing grace is all we need. Help us, O oh Father, to rest in your grace to quit trying so hard just to receive what you have for us. Thank you for Jesus. We love him. We love you. Thank you for forgiving us, loving us, calling us your friends. In Jesus' name, amen.